Well, hello again and welcome to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures Podcast. I'm Tom. As always, I'm with my gorgeous, wonderful, intelligent, extremely hardworking Disney landscape-loving wife and co-host, Michelle. <laughs> that is true about landscape-loving. Thank you, honey. Hi, everybody. So good to have you with us. We are actually recording this episode on Saturday, February 19th. 2022, although this episode will be dropping on Sunday, February 27th, 2022. Why am we recording this episode a week early than it actually comes out for everybody? Well, if you heard our last episode, then you'd know that Tom is actually on the road again. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as this episode, yes, that's what I'm singing <laughs> currently, just over and over again <laughs> across the country. Um, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, then right now, as this drops, I'm actually probably in California. Yeah, so I am so. actually on my way home. I will be there soon with our son, Scott. Um, but we are out of town, so we couldn't record it. So we want, But we wanted to give you a new show, so we're recording it a week early. Right, right. And we have some, you know, hopefully a fun topic today. Yeah, I think it's a great topic. And Michelle, you know, Michelle always has the best topics and she <laughs> has the best research. And so this is going to be uh, very interesting today. Thank you for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the very best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there, we invite you to uh, sign up for our newsletter. And as we talked about last week, you get an extra bracket. So an extra opportunity to win a great prize. Yes, yes. Uh, Michelle is pulling together right now as we speak this great prize package is going to be given away to the person that gets the most correct in our Disney songs madness bracket. If you haven't got your bracket yet, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, please go check that out. The bracket was in the show notes, the link to it. Also, uh, you know, it's in the newsletter. It's through Patreon, it's on social media, it's everywhere. We're peppering it out there so you can enter <laughs> in because you are the people who decide uh, who wins that bracket. Right, and uh, you'll you'll be the people who uh, actually do win if you are lucky enough to pick all the right selections. That's right. So you know, sign up for the newsletter, you get an extra chance. And as we'll mention in a moment here, if you're a Patreon member, you even get another chance. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely check that all out. If you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. If you are on Facebook, come on over and join us for some good, positive Disney energy fun on our Hyperion Adventurers Facebook group. Best group ever. Best group ever. <laughs> Definitely is. We have so much fun on that group. Yes. Um, just sharing Disney fun and uh, whatever's going on in your life, whatever your favorite thing is, whatever you're happy about, as long as it's positive fun, we're all for it there yeah. on that Facebook group. So right. come on over and join us. Uh, also, we are on YouTube. If you want to find us there, just do a quick search for Hyperion Adventures Podcast. Hit subscribe. You'll know whenever we have a video. And if you ever want to contact us for any reason, including to send back that bracket, uh, hit us up at our Gmail account, Podcast at gmail.com. 
Right. And as we say always, we love hearing from you, whether you're just saying hi or have a question. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, also, if you want to support this show, there's a couple great ways to do that. One is through our Spreadshirt shop. You can just go to Spreadshirt.com and uh, just do a search for Hyperion Adventures podcast and we'll come up there. Or you can go to our Linktree account and there's a link there as well. Uh, but we just have a lot of great different gear uh, in our various different logos, different oh, colors, yeah. different sizes, different items. And uh, it's just a great way to help support the show. Yeah, we really appreciate those of you who have ordered in the past and uh, we have done it and we'll, you know, We've been very pleased with the, with the products. Yeah, virtually. If you ever see us in pictures or whatever, and we're wearing some gear that says Hyperion Adventures podcast on it, it's a pretty good chance that right. that came from our Spreadshirt shop. So if you see something you like, um, it's probably there for right. you. Exactly. So. Uh, another way is to be a Patreon member for us. You can go to patreon.com slash Hyperion Adventures podcast. And we have tiers there starting as low as $2 per month with all sorts of great swag. And as we were just mentioning, you get three of our if you're a Patreon right. member, so triple the chances to win our prize pack as well. Yeah, how exciting. Yeah, so definitely check us out there. Now, as we mentioned, um, I'm on the road as we're <laughs> actually dropping this episode, So, and I have been for a week. So <laughs> this episode will be a little different. Um, we can't talk about what my favorite thing is for this week because, well, we really don't know. I can assume it's... be in the future. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would assume it'll be this evening when we get home, right. you know, and we're reunited with Michelle. But we will be, of course, continuing that into the future. And we also won't be doing the Disney stories of the week this week because I have no idea what the Disney stories are going to be for this week. As much as <laughs> I do, you. as much as I wish I could tell the future, as much as I could be like Bruno, even though we don't talk about him, um, I, I, I don't. I can't. So I will not be telling the future. So we will be skipping that. However, we will at the end of this have a tip for you because Michelle has the best tips and we don't want you to miss out on that. Uh, we just never want to leave you on any show without a new tip for the week or even sometimes sometimes they're recycled, but a tip that maybe you've never heard before. Yeah. So instead of all that, we're just going to go ahead and get to our main topic of the week because one, it's an exciting topic and two, well, it's all about Michelle talking about it and enough <laughs> about me talking. So let's go ahead and get to it. Our main topic of the week. So yes, for this week's main topic, Michelle, she says, you know, I really love the way Disney creates its magic, and we should do a series talking about creating Disney magic, how they do this, why it's so special when we go to the Disney parks, when we go on Disney Cruise Line, whatever it may be. And so Michelle decided, let's put together this series, and this is the first one I want to do. So Michelle, what are we doing for the first episode of our series on creating Disney magic? Okay, well, I was thinking that since we're getting close to the uh, start of Epcot's International Flower and Garden Festival for this year, why don't we start our series out talking about landscaping and how gardening and horticulture and, and landscape planning really plays an important role in how the magic comes to us at uh, Disney parks. Awesome. I can't wait to hear all about this because it can be taken for granted. You walk around the parks and you think, oh, that looks lovely or whatever, but you don't think necessarily about all the people that put that together in the thought process that goes into it. Right, right, exactly. And, you know, um, what better way to, you know, really highlight it is, you know, Epcot's International Flower and Garden Festival, which, you know, has that tradition of really, you know, emphasizing some of the unique types of, 
of landscaping, gardening, and horticulture that they provide. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, tell us all about it, Michelle. Okay. Um, the other thing I kind of, you know, from a personal experience want to share that Flower and Garden was always a very personal favorite festival for myself um, that I got to share many, many years in a row with my mother. Um, we, we A lot of times we tried to plan it to go for Mother's Day weekend as well. So um, it, it holds a special place for me. But, you know, just the idea of um, gardening and landscaping has been very intriguing to me. So, um, but I really wanted to start out by uh, one of the landscape architecture uh, studio executives at Walt Disney. Her name's Jennifer Mock. Um, and how she described her role is she said, we build worlds. Our designs have to be complete. It has to be immersive. It's putting the magic into that experience for the guests. So I thought that really captured, you know, what their purpose is and what they're trying to do. And and let's face it, they they're super successful at that. Oh, definitely, so. absolutely. It's the parks are always gorgeous. Right, right, and it it does something for you. It's not just an aside that yeah. is there. So. They, they tell a story just through their landscape for you sure. You got it. Mm-hmm. So you're getting, you're right there on the edge of some really important things, Ooh. but you know, let's start first, you know, at the, kind of the history of how this became important to the parks. And, you know, as with any big business, it starts at the top, right? And so Walt Disney himself really uh, noted and saw the importance of gardening and landscaping for his venture of Disneyland. Um, you know, he actually found a lot of inspiration when he and his wife Lillian would go uh, travel, and especially in Europe. He loved a lot of the gardens there. Um, but more purposefully, he saw that it was an important part of you know, the stage or the set, because, you know, from his mindset of working in Hollywood, you know, it's all about storytelling and and how to support that. So, um, you know, Walt's view of the park layout and its flow was rooted, get it? (laughs) Let's see what you did there. In the movie industry. So, um, as I mentioned, it was part of the story being told. And so it was, the set has to support that story. Mm. Just like when you're looking at a movie set or if you're in a play or anything like that. And the other thing he noticed when he went to other theme parks that were on at that time, he actually saw there was some, it it felt uncomfortable, like they were vying for attention. You might have an area that's like the wild, wild west competing with a circus themed area. And and so he felt like it, it didn't have that continuity feel that makes a guest feel happy about being at a location. And so that's why flow and using landscape to help that with transitioning was important. And it was pretty, I think, brilliant to realize that, to actually, you know, go in and, and have that comparison and say, this is important. Yeah. And more, more importantly, that it doesn't, stand out like you don't notice the transition necessarily when you're going from a land to a different land there is some sort of gradual thing that goes on or there's some sort of sometimes it's through a cave or through a castle or whatever where it just kind of it it, it can flow but you don't notice the change until you're there but it doesn't seem abrupt right right stretch of the imagination right yeah yeah and it's it's kind of like supporting the the next story Mm -hmm. exactly yeah yeah but you know as with any new venture there's challenges. Things aren't always easy, you know. And, um, you know, obviously at the beginning, first time opening Disneyland, there were tight budgets and definitely time constraints. I mean, if you think about it, 
from groundbreaking to opening was one year of yeah. converting this orange grove into a magic kingdom. So that's uh, talk about time constraints. Um, but there was a, actually a funny story with landscaping that I ran across in my um, research. And, you know, as I mentioned, it, you know, it was orange groves. Mm -hmm. And so um, the landscape architects had decided which which orange trees they were going to keep and which ones they were going to get rid of. And so they tagged them and the ones they wanted to keep had like red tags on them. And the ones that they, you know, wanted to be removed had green tags. And who would have ever guessed that the bulldoze operator was colorblind? Oh no. <laughs> so I didn't get to hear too much of, you know, how they resolved that, but you know, I thought that was pretty hilarious yeah. that, that took place. Oh boy. <laughs> Especially those two colors that you're going through. Right. Really troublesome for uh, yes. many people who are colorblind, blind for sure. Just thought that was hilarious. Um, another challenge, and, and I guess one would say it's kind of like self-imposed by Walt, but um, for a good reason, is he really felt strong that, you know, the gardening should should always look fresh and beautiful, you know, at its peak year round. So, you know, thinking Southern California, he was looking at different you know, contrast in the weather and that it, he wanted to make sure that no matter what season that it did look really beautiful. So that really required some meticulous planning for the people who were designing the park and, and how they would be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, if you've never watched like, what is it? Designing Disney or whatever right. on, yep. on, um, Disney Plus, or um, sometimes they've shown it on ABC or Disney Channel or whatever else, Freeform. Um, they're pretty amazing. You see where they have these greenhouses and some other things that just kind of keep a lot of these different um, plants right. and flowers and topiaries and everything else to keep them and ready to go and, and as they need them throughout the year. Right, right. You, you need to be mindful of the seasons. Like the Poncietta plant, I can never say that. Poinsettia. Poinsettia. <laughs> you know, they're beautiful in the holiday times, so but it's not something that you would want to necessarily experience in the summertime. Right. So, it, you know, how are you going to incorporate unless that change? Unless you're our son, Scott, who is like, it's Christmas all year That's round. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Christmas land. Yes. <laughs> so now the person most credited for um, the Disneyland Gardens and Landscape landscape design actually was a third generation horticulturist. His name was Morgan, but he went by Bill Evans and his brother, Jack, and they landscaped the grounds for Walt Disney's uh, home be home. And that's the one that had the um, train. Mm -hmm. And so uh, in 1954, Walt asked him, said, Bill, how about you fellows landscaping Disneyland for me? Now, again, he asked them that in 1954, and Disneyland opened in 1955. So it, not a lot of time there for planning how to do the landscape architect of New Park. Right. Very little time for planning and not as big a budget as you might think at right. that point for, you know, in the budget now for landscaping is huge. But what the budget was for landscaping when you're trying to get uh, Disneyland open, a bit tight. Right. You know, and not having a lot of other theme parks to um, maybe draw inspiration from. But anyways, um, they, they obviously were successful, but kind of the way they did this, they actually uh, salvaged some trees from construction areas. You know, it was there was a post-war um, construction boom 
And so as they were building freeways and developing suburban locations, as they were, you know, going to remove trees anyways, these guys are like, oh, we'll take them, you know. And uh, so that, you know, was one way to, I guess, be very budget conscious right, sure. of it, you know. I think people are going to try and uh, demolish or get thrown away anyways right. or whatever. It, yeah, we'll take them. Yeah, yeah. Plus, think about it. Saving trees. That's yes, awesome. For sure. Um, they did create an on-site nursery, uh, and they were looking for trees that were um, suited for the Anaheim climate, but that could, you know, communicate or, or be a, uh, appropriate for sets that included, you know, like the Mississippi River and New Orleans or African jungle or some things that you'd find in fantasy land. So again, very detailed, conscientious thinking of how are the plants that will grow here that no normally grow in a different climate still look the same. Right. And you want them to fit. You know, you, know, you don't want a, a Christmas tree in the middle of necessarily the Jungle Cruise, right. unless it's the Jingle Cruise, of yeah. course. But <laughs> other than that, usually it would, wouldn't quite fit in to have a pine tree in the middle of a jungle. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, let's face it. Um, Bill Evans was definitely a great storyteller. Um, he knew how to create using this medium for storytelling and was very successful. And in fact, the company um, even sought him out it, when they were developing Walt Disney World so that he could have some um, input into that as well. Um, but before we go into anything further, I think there was a, actually kind of an ingenious, funny, budget conscientious story about the Jungle Cruise that that we heard on a tour that I think you might want to tell us about. Uh, are you talking about the, uh, the, the orange grove trees? Yeah. yeah. So they, as we mentioned already, they were looking to get rid of all, a lot of these orange grove trees that were there um, because of the fact that, uh, look, we need to clear the space. And then meanwhile, they're trying to build up the, the jungle cruise. And look, when they did the jungle cruise at Walt Disney world, they had a huge budget. They're like, you know, just throw it all out there. We can pay for it all because Disneyland was already a success right. for years. Um, Disneyland, we, we, they had no idea for sure this was going to work. Of course, Walt believed it was going to be work. Right. It was going right. to hit, but uh, Roy was, you know, look, we can spend, but we can't go crazy with right. this thing yet. They still have to, in the middle of what is, if you know, Southern California, it's more of a desert than a right. lush tropical place. <laughs> place so to fill out this tropical area they had to come up with all these different plants and they're taking out these orange trees and they're like well what can we do with them how can we add them in and they looked at them and said you know what if you turn them upside down <laughs> they kind of look tropical like they could be somewhere in a jungle right. somewhere or whatever so that's what they apparently did is they and i don't know actually how many they ended up using but they took some of these orange trees and um, turned them upside down and they made them blend in and right. look kind of jungleish. And I, from what I understand, and we haven't seen it yet, but right. there is still at least one somewhere within Disneyland's Jungle Cruise that right, you may right. be able to spot if you know where to find it. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, we don't know. We haven't been able to identify it, but maybe that's because it's just so, you know, it's grown through and it just developed into what you would expect in a jungle. Right, and that's the rumor anyway. I mean, it hasn't been completely verified yet, but some sources have said it's still there. You right, just need right. to, You just need to know where to look. Right. But that story of upside down trees. Is that is fine. true. Yes. 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 
All right. So in, you know, talking about landscaping, it's really key to look at what are the main functions. You know, there are three main functions that from the very beginning to now are always considered when developing and designing, um, you know, the landscaping of a Disney, inside a Disney park. Can you think of any? Well, story right off the bat. You want right. to tell the story of the section that you're within, whether it be an entire land or an attraction itself. Right. And in fact, that's really the main, the first main function. It's, you know, it, it, it's there to enhance the theme, uh, to complement the show elements. And it's also there to bring like excitement to it. You know, what makes Disney different is that it brings that excitement. So, like, you know, like we were talking already about the Disney about the Jungle Cruise, how they have tropical plants there. You know, if you think of like um, Tomorrowland, they use geometric shapes in their bushes and trees, you know, um, or at the Haunted Mansion, how they have the overgrown vines and a lot of grassy areas. Um, So, you know, it's all part of the show. What's What's one of your favorite areas? Um, when you're looking at show. I have so many. Uh, I really love the area right out front of It's a Small World at Disneyland. The fact that they have uh, year-round a lot of those topiaries of all the oh, different yeah. animals out there. And it's kind of a, a lush little garden area space. Um, over at Epcot, I love the gardens at the Canada Pavilion. Mm-hmm. Maybe mostly because it reminds us they're, they're based on Bouchard Gardens right. and some other can- Canadian gardens as well. But mostly Bouchard Gardens out of Victoria, which we visited and right. love that. And it's so beautiful. I just think that on a nice day, it can be so lovely out there to walk through that space. But there are, there are, I mean, there's just so many to really think about in Disney as far as just wonderful landscaped areas. Right, right. I mean, you know, some are, like you said, just brilliant and beautiful. Some are, can actually be like Zen. Like if you go into the China Pavilion, the, the, by the water pond and all the uh, little waterfall and plants that they have over there can be pretty nice relaxing yeah the tea garden at the uh the england uh, the uk oh, pavilion yeah. you know is really beautiful as well right and and again those are all great uh you know examples of how they use it to tell story so um the other thing and i know you touched on this a little bit earlier in this episode is about providing transition so as you move from one land to another it needs to be comfortable feeling smooth you know but also in character. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and one of the things that we really, it was pointed out to us in one of the tours, I think it was the walk, walk in waltz footstep tours. As you're going from Main Street USA into Adventureland, it's really seamless and subtle, but how you really see from one environment to another, um, two different contrasts, but it doesn't feel that way as you're going through. Well, even if you go to like uh, to Walt Disney World, to Magic Kingdom, and if you look at the Crystal Palace restaurant, because it transitions between the hub, right. Main Street USA, and into Adventureland. And if you look at the two different sides of it, they look slightly different because that it, it, you're transitioning right. even within that restaurant, the, outs, uh, the outside That's of that true. restaurant. Right, yeah. right. But yeah, it's just so unique, but, but that's, you know, where landscaping is really helping support that. And the third, you know, is more of a practical reason for the landscaping. And that is like screening, you know, whether it is 
covering up some of the things that we don't want to necessarily think about when we're in a park, you know, like uh, whether it's mechanical equipment behind there or cast member area or whatever. Um, or, or it may be a way to try to divert your eyes from something else that's going on. You know, that that's another major function um, that they use landscaping for. And, you know, I'll, I have to admit, I think Disneyland has always done an impressive use of screening. Uh, like when Galaxy's Edge was about to open and it hadn't opened yet that, you know, you weren't seeing construction going on really. It, they, they did use um, all aspects of landscaping. So whether it be plants, trees, you know, bridges, everything that they could. So it still kept it to be much a mystery. You knew things were going on there. But it really, you weren't seeing, you know, it being built. Right. Especially in Disney, uh, while Disney World, you did, the Disney Hollywood Studios, you didn't see it really much at all. Disneyland, there were a couple spots where you could like get on your tiptoes or right. if you were up on Big Thunder, um, up near the peak there, you could kind of glance in and see a few things. But they did a really good job of kind of keeping that hidden, like you were mentioning right. about. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, if you think back of how they did it, they, they kind of had things that were more interesting on the other side that kind of drew your attention and your eyes away. You knew, like I said, you knew what was going on there, but you didn't see it. You know, and the other thing with Disneyland being really small, that it's not uncommon that there might actually be like, um, you know, machinery or air conditioning units or something right there by the attraction. But landscaping is, is creatively done to hide that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So very, very impressive how they do even just hide, uh, little elements of the attraction itself, yeah. Right. So, yeah. Um, so how does this magic happen? Like uh, if there's going to be a new attraction or a restaurant, you know, that was something that I found, you know, intriguing. So fortunately, I was able to find some really good information. Uh, I, I have a scoop that was actually explained by Jeff Morosky of Disney Imagineering Landscape Architect Design Studio Executive. Um, he was actually interviewed by his alma mater, Ohio State University. And he, he really shared some insight of how this starts in planning. And he said, um, so first of all, he's responsible for Disney theme parks and resorts worldwide, including retail, dining, and entertainment districts. Um, he directed in the design and development of notable and award-winning projects, including Anaheim's Downtown Disney, Hawaii's Alani, Hong Kong Disneyland and Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. And those are pretty impressive things to have on your resume that you were in, involved in designing. Yeah, just one of those things on your resume is pretty good. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? All of those, yeah, that's great. So here's what he had to say. He said, landscape architecture plays a defining role within the Disney's theme park resort environments. One of the many distinguishing attributes of Disney parks and resort is the quality of our outdoor environment or what they call area development. Um, and that's, you know, what Imagineers call it, area development. And he said that begins with a particular story being told. So again, how we said the foundations of landscaping starts with story. And he said, so it's essential to create an environment that is reminiscent of the time and place where that story is being told. And um, he said it, it goes along with those main pillars of theming and supporting the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense that they, that would be the most important thing for sure. Right. 
So then he goes on to say that once the project storyline is agreed upon and the architect team gets together um, to design this area development, they they uh, look at what are the most feasible designs based on the intent, functionality, sustainability now, and value. And he said, typically a Disney theme park project can take five or more years to design and bring to fruition. And during that time, the landscape architects play a key role in that design and oversight to ensure the design and intent and Disney quality is really captured throughout all, all phases of the project to opening day. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was pretty cool insight. Yeah, you see the concept art and a lot of times there are a lot of the uh, the landscapes that are involved there that are, makes them particularly beautiful. We looked at this, uh, you know, the, was it Story Living by Disney that came out uh, last week right. and how, you know, if you look at that, that is all about landscape out there and I'm sure that they're working on a lot of that. But I mean, and, and things could change uh, from concept art, they almost always do to what the actual attraction ends up being or the land ends up being or whatever. But it's that design to begin with that, uh, you know, helps spur along the idea and make people excited about it. Right. And I had never thought before how early on they're involved. You know, I would think that, you know, first maybe is, okay, we have to have attraction and it's going to be, you know, focused on this and they have, you know, maybe some concept art about that, you know, and, and I always felt like the architect stuff was kind of like, I mean, not the architect, the landscape architect was kind of like the last step of the way, but it really isn't. It's very much at the beginning. Well, yeah, because you got like you were talking about hiding different things within the attraction that, you know, we don't want to be necessarily shown out to the public. So, I mean, right off the get, you know, you need to have this landscape prepared. Like, how are we going to, you know fix where this ride operation system that is right out there that could be out in the open is sort of blends in more right. to it. So it's, it doesn't take you out of the moment. And so, you know, That's true. Them, yeah. you know, having to work through that from beginning, um, I, I would imagine is very, very important yeah, right. well, among other things. I mean, it's just how you feel about being on that traction. I mean, who would, it, you know, the, you know, what would Cars Land be without the Radiator Springs racers and that whole area right through there? I mean, yeah, it'd still be beautiful. And part of that is the landscape that's just going down Route 66 and and Radiator Springs itself. But when you get down there to that attraction and the way that attraction lays out, it's it's gorgeous, wonderful. And you were right there in the middle of somewhere in I don't know, Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, wherever, right. you know, you would, you would find Route 66 going through. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's so impressive. And I, you know, if you have never been to Disneyland at Disney California Adventure, it, that to me is like a pinnacle of, of how they really were able to use a small st- space and make it look so vast and contain all the components that you would expect to see in that area. Yeah. You, you step right into the movie there, you know, they were oh, yeah. talking about immersion when we've said it many times on the show, uh, it's arguably the most immersive land you'll find in any Disney park, at least for sure in the United States. Right. Right. That is for sure. So one of the things that I didn't, hear Jeff in his interview talk about really is the research that they have to do when they're developing a new concept. So again, whether it's a ride or if it's to support a a restaurant or something like that. And it is amazing how much they do have to actually research before developing what they're going to actually lay out there. Yeah. You know, and as we've been talking about with um, Radiator Springs, I think we do have a little bit of sound that that shares 
kind of some of the research, at least touches on the research that they do for uh, that area of the park. In Carsland, we have over 450 specimen trees and cactus. And what makes these special is that each one of these is hand selected. So we actually go out there and we find the perfect oak tree, the spectacular shaped cactus. And these are really characters that we put into the story. They really are special to us. The landscape is certainly part of the wow as you walk into the land. Whether you're coming in from Radiator Springs, the town, or through the portal at Pacific Wharf and you see Willie's Butte. We provide the color and texture that adds to the rockwork scenery and of course to the uh, architecture. There are over 20,000 shrubs, grasses, and small cactus which make up the rest of the landscape. It's really a diverse palette. I'm really proud that we've kind of kept that tradition of a landscape that is both genuine as well as horticulturally diverse. I always love hearing it directly from the, the, the people who are involved in it because you can definitely hear their passion and everything, but it, the work speaks for itself. Right. Interesting to hear how much, how many pieces that are actually within that right. space um, that fills it out and makes it look as, as lush and beautiful. Well, lush for a desert, right. but as lush and beautiful <laughs> as it is. Well, you know, it's interesting that uh, over in Disneyland Paris, and we'll be talking more about that this year um, because of their anniversary, but they're actually um, developing the Cars Road Trip uh, project there. And their uh, landscape architect, Julia Milichaud, I think is her name, Milichaud. Um, she, she gave some really good insight into this. She said the transformation presented a challenge for their Imagineering team as it involved completely rethinking the landscape there in France <laughs> to really be an, a living example of the American West. Mm. And so, the, you know, obviously their, their trees and things just don't scream American West. So sure. they had to do a lot of research on that and, and kind of decide what vegetation really uh, would support that, you know, looking at transporting trees uh, from other areas that still could, e even though they might not be indigenous to that area, still could survive there, that would still give that um, ability to support that storyline of the American West. Um, so she said, extensive research work was necessary to identify plant species that could adapt to the climate conditions and soils of France, plus guaranteeing a feeling of immerse immersion in the West no matter the season. So again, kind of like what Walt was saying, uh, he, he felt his parks needed to be their best no matter the season. So, um, you know, as you can see, it, it started from the basis of Walt. It's a tradition that they're really continuing. And um, it's, it was so interesting doing this research. But I found one more uh, air quote from Julia that I thought really shined a light on what they do. Okay, and she said, nothing is done randomly. We choose each tree in the nursery, and each one was planted in a specific place where it has a role to play in terms of scenery and utility. Be it to direct the guest's attention or to support an element of the story, these plants also serve to naturally conceal what's behind the attraction and invite guests further in the experience as told by the Imagineers. So I thought, wow, how interesting like she said every plant is designed and, and determined 
where it's going to be. It's just not like, oh, okay, let's, um, well, why don't we move this tree here? Why don't we put a couple other plants here? It's, it's well thought out before they actually, you know, go into planting. Right. It's one of those things that makes and why we were talking about creating Disney magic. That's what this series is all about. Um, that's what sets Disney apart from a lot of other theme parks uh, throughout the world is the fact that they do think about these things so well. And I mean, there, there are some other parks that have um, started doing that as well. But, you know, Disney was the one who kind of set the precedent for right, it. And, right. You know, and everybody's trying to always play catch up with Disney, maybe not on a necessarily attractions that you love, maybe ne- not necessarily on food that you love. But uh, it, Disney was the first to do this. And Disney is kind of set the bar very high for people to follow. Right. But it is, it is still amazing that from back in 1955, how he so solidly saw the importance of this to the point where it is to this day still those main functions of landscaping that Walt brought to their attention is still what uses them, the Imagineers, and guides them in what they do on their jobs every day. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting into the time of year where it really gets not, and it gets showcased subtly every single time you visit the parks. But this time of year, the Epcot International Flower and Garden Festival always is the true right. shining light on the, you know, the, the various different horticulturists and landscapers that go out there and do this great work at Disney, because this is when you super pay attention to them. You know, throughout most of the year, it's there. You, you know, it's beautiful, but you kind of pass by it. Right. Now you actually stop and appreciate right. all the work that they do. Yeah, they get to showcase their their talents for sure. So, um, you know, and, and one of the great things that you really get to experience is all your senses when you're at, you know, these festivals. And this year uh, on the Bridge to World Showcase, they've actually added a new what they call fragrant garden. And it says that guests uh, will be invited to follow their nose to six scent stations, floral, fruity, citrus, spicy, woods, and fresh uh, to form a lasting memory to help that with those unforgettable aromas. And if you think about it, um, our sense of smell and, and aromas really do link with our memories of things. And so it's, it's cool that they've added this uh, fragrant garden this year to the flower and garden yeah, festival. I'll be interested to check that out and see what that's all about for sure. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, flowers, smells of pine trees, mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, it's whatever, if you grew up going camping or if you grew up at the beach right. or if you, it's all part of those memories of what it's like to be there. And yeah. that, those, even just Disney attractions, how many people buy those candles that smell like the, the water at the, the Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. <laughs> or smell like a Rome burning in Spaceship Earth, you know, because it, it you, you, you light those up at your home and it just kind of brings you a little bit back into right. Walt Disney World or wherever you have those wonderful memories. That's right. So now you can go to this new garden, fragrant garden, and create more memories yeah. to, to have. And so um, as with all my deep dives, I do like to have at least one fun fact. And I do have one fun fact, actually, that um, 90% of the horticulture teams work on the third shift beginning at 2 a.m. Mm. I, I knew that there were a lot, but I would never have guessed 90% of the team. Well, you, you think about it. I mean, you don't ever, you know, you see the cast members working attractions. You see the guest services cast right. members. You see sanitation. You see security. Right. How often do you ever see somebody out there 
digging up and replacing a tree right. or a flower sure. or it, you know that all happens in the evenings yeah yeah it makes sense in the parks, yeah yeah it just was kind of a interesting concept to me so you know i do want to just encourage everybody you know when you're at the parks just take that moment to really look around and appreciate what is the functionality of that landscape and and how is it affecting you emotionally yeah i mean create magic especially for those of you that go to uh, Disney parks regularly. You know, you're always looking for something else to do there. Right. How about just going around and appreciating the landscape for what it is and all the work that they've done and and how uh, wonderful the transitions are and how it fits into the story and how it you know like we Michelle talked about how it, you know it can kind of distract you from maybe something that stands out as a uh, a ride function right. or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, just go around and, and check it all out and, and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, have another perspective there. Yeah, enjoying good. the park. Good so, point. Thank you. So anyways, that is our look at how landscaping brings the magic. Awesome job. Michelle always Thank does the you. best research. <laughs> and I know that she's going to do this. It's another series. It's going to be wonderful. These creating Disney magic series. Yeah. Can't wait to hear what the next one's going to be all about. But uh, great job, Michelle. And do please go out and check out the landscaping because these people work very hard. Right. At, uh, as we just heard, the wee hours of the morning <laughs> when we are hopefully all asleep uh, to make sure that these parks are beautiful. But maybe you don't even notice how good a job they've done. Right. Exactly. That is our look at creating Disney magic, Disney parks, landscape. Great job, Michelle. She always does the best research and (laughs) finds some interesting fun facts about things and maybe makes you appreciate things a little bit more uh, when you're out there on your next Disney vacation. Yeah, we just want people to have fun. Yes, most more than anything else for sure. Now, as we mentioned, there will be no Disney Stories of the Week because I'm somewhere on the highway, somewhere between Arizona and, and California right now as this episode drops. However, we never leave you without giving you some sort of tip that might help you on your next vacation. And when we do this, we always start with Michelle. One, because she's great, awesome, all things wonderful <laughs> in the world. She definitely does the rest, best research, as you just heard. She has the the best list she has the best brackets but she definitely has the very best tip so let's get to it here's michelle's tip of the week oh you're just too kind all right so um in the past we've talked about if you're staying at a disney resort especially one that's either like a studio that might have like a microwave or mini refrigerator or something like that or you know you might be staying in a villa that has a full kitchen that um you might want to get some groceries delivered. And we've talked about that in the past. But uh, one of the things that is um, wanted to highlight for you now is that Bell Service um, no longer accepts an order if there's alcohol. So like if there's something that's age restrictive that you have to uh, show a photo ID for age identification, they can't accept that. But you, what you could do is, is one, you could pick a service that does distinguish a time of when they deliver that you might be in the room already. And so you can arrange to be uh, there to accept the delivery directly from them. Um, the other thing that you might want to consider is uh, the, the stores at the resorts do carry alcohol as well. So, um, you know, you can get wines there, for example. And sometimes it is themed they might, you might find a bottle or two that are themed towards 
what that resort is all about. Like when we're at Animal Kingdom Lodge, we like to pick up uh, some bottles there that are from vineyards in uh, like Africa. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, then you get something unique to try out. Um, and, and I have to say, we've found that their prices are, are very reasonable. They're definitely competitive to what the grocery delivery services would charge anyways. Uh, but you can also get things other than wines. They do carry other types of alcohol at their stores too. So, you know, if you're finding that that would be difficult to actually be present uh, for the delivery, then leave out that from your order. Let Bell Service receive the rest of your delivery because even if it's items that need to be refrigerated, Bell Service will take care of that. And then um, just consider if you want alcohol to get it at the stores there on Disney uh, resort property. Yeah. We've, like you mentioned, we've bought many bottles of wine because you know, that's how we roll right. uh, <laughs> at the, at the gift shops and the, the various different little stores, especially at the DVC resorts that kind of stock them a little bit better than some of the other right. resorts because they know DVCs usually have at least a kitchenette, if not right. a full kitchen. So they may need a few more things. Also at like Fort Wilderness because of the cabins, people mm -hmm. camping, those, the general store there tends to have a few more things in it, but definitely a various variety of alcohol, right. including a lot of wines. And yeah, it's, it's not at a bad price. Right. I mean, I'm not going to say it's it's super inexpensive, but it's it's not that different from if you were just to go to the grocery store or have it delivered and what right. the pricing you would find for that wine, for that beer, for the other bottles of alcohol. Right, right. So anyway, so you have that option, but also to be to be in the know that you just can't have the bell service. Won't right. Most importantly, yeah, yeah. They, they won't be able to take those in and hold those for you. So right. you'll need to be around for them. Yeah. So Michelle's tip, always the best <laughs> tip. Thank you. Uh, my tip for this week actually has something to do with what, something we were dealing with today. And that is renewing your Walt Disney world annual pass. Now, right now you cannot purchase new Walt Disney World annual passes, um, but you can renew yours if you've already mm -hmm. had one when you get within certain dates of your renewal. And so I want to kind of talk about those dates right now. Now, if you have a trip coming up, but it's right after your expiration date, you may want to go ahead and jump on that renewal because you can do it 60 days out from mm -hmm. that expiration date because you won't be able to make park reservations just past that renewal right. date, that expiration date, if you don't have that renewal. So if you have a trip planned and it's going to fall after that, so you know you're going to get a pass anyway, go ahead and jump on that 60 days right. out, you know, take advantage of it, that and get it done. Your date won't change. You, you know, you doesn't, it's not like as soon as you renew that starts your new expiration date for the next year. Now you only get 10 months. Right, or whatever. Right. It still will start when your other uh, pass ends up, finishing right. out so it does it still will be 12 months then you'll be able to make those park reservations which you know most likely they're fine you could probably make them at a later date but do you really want to worry about that when you're planning out your vacation get those park reservations right. done you can make your uh, restaurant reservations your dining reservations as well and you're good to go um, however if you don't have a trip planned right immediately and let's just say uh, you know I, I'm waiting for my tax return, which is we're getting into tax season right now, or I just want to wait for another paycheck or whatever before I pay for another annual pass. You do have up to 30 days after your expiration date to still renew that pass. Right. Now, no, you do that. You're, it's still the same amount of 12 months. So whatever your day your pass expires is from will still be your 12 month date out. So right, right, let's yeah. just say yours expires on March 31st and you don't 
renew it until April 18th or whatever. Right. It doesn't mean that your next date will be 12 months from April 18th. Right. Your next expiration date will still be March 31st of the following year. Right, right, yes. So, but it's just more of if you want to not spend that money, if it's more convenient for you to not spend that money right. at a later time. So, good point. So, anyway, just to let you know, 60 days before, 30 days after your expiration date, you can still renew your pass within the window somewhere along that line. Very good. Good so, tip, baby. Thanks. So, that's it for this week. Next week, well, I'm not really sure what we're doing next week because we still have some little things to make sure we get set in, but it'll be a fun topic no matter what. Right. So we, we do, we're trying to get an interview with somebody um, and work all of our schedules, but we do have a backup. We will have a great topic for you <laughs> either way, but thank you for joining us today. In the future, you can find us most everywhere you get podcasts. However, the very best place to find us is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com. And while you're there... You can sign up for our newsletter. And if you do, you get that extra bracket yep. for an extra chance to win. Two times for our Hyperion Adventure newsletter. Three brackets for our Patreon right. members. So be prepared for that. But yeah, it's just another way to be involved in the Hyperion Adventures podcast world. And we will have a new newsletter going out for you this week as I should have returned <laughs> from my journey across the country and back. Uh, also, please follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at Hyperion Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. If you are on Facebook, come on over and join us for some good, positive Disney energy fun on our Hyperion Adventurers Facebook group. Yeah, it's super that it's continuing to grow, and it, it's great to see so many wonderful, positive people, and I love the sharing. Yeah, uh, so much fun in that group, and we hope that you're either a part of it already or will become a part of it very soon. Uh, we are also on YouTube. If you want to find us there, just do a quick search for Hyperion Adventures podcast hit subscribe and you'll know whenever we have a new video and if you ever want to contact us for any reason or get those brackets in this week for our <laughs> Disney songs madness um, hit us up at our Gmail account Hyperion Adventures podcast at gmail.com that's right and you can just even just drop us a line sometime we like that too yep just say hi that's always fun for us as well that's it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We look forward to sharing some time with you again next week. Until that time, I'm Tom. I'm Michelle. And we hope that you have a magical week.